There was another shooting at a school in the United States, this time at a high school in St. Louis, Missouri. A teacher and a student were shot dead, and police killed the 19-year-old shooter. At least seven others were physically injured. According to Education Week, there have been 40 school shootings in 2022 that resulted in injuries or death. That includes the attack in Uvalde, Texas, where 19 children and two adults were killed at Robb Elementary School in May. Uvalde was the third deadliest school shooting on record. Each of these raises questions that have become all too familiar. How does this keep happening, and what are we doing about it? We'll discuss the latest on the shooting in St. Louis, and we'll hear from high school students in Louisville, Kentucky, about how gun violence and other issues are affecting their generation. I'm David Gura, in for Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back with more in just a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Smartwool. Do you realize how many synthetic materials are in the clothes on your back and feet right now? That's why Smartwool is committed to sustainability, using natural, responsibly sourced merino wool in their gear and recycled materials in their packaging. Enjoy 15% off your first order of base layers, socks, and accessories at smartwool.com. We're recapping the latest from the shooting in St. Louis earlier this week. Evie Blod joins us to discuss that. She's a reporter with Education Week. Evie, welcome back to 1A. Thank you. We've gotten updates from the police in St. Louis. What do we know about what happened at that high school and what led to it? We've heard in the days following the attack that the um, gunman described himself as being in the a perfect storm for a school shooting in some of his writings. Uh, the week before the shooting, his family had called police um, when they found an AR-15 style rifle in his possession and asked them to take it away. Uh, but police determined they didn't have authority to do so. They turned it over to um, a family friend and somehow the gunman got the gun back in the time between then and the shooting. Um, it sounds like his family was pretty aware of some concerns about his um, mental health and his intention to act, which is quite common in events like this, that gunmen might leak their intentions or their vulnerabilities beforehand. Um, We know that he entered the school, he shot and killed um, one student um, who was 15 and a teacher who was 61 um, and injured seven others. Um, The school had unarmed security guards, they had secured entrances, um, and a lot of the security protocols that uh, many schools have, but unfortunately, um, the attack happened anyway. With that shooting in Uvalde, it played out over such a long period of time. Uh, I was looking at the reporting from our friends at St. Louis Public Radio who write about uh, how quickly police were able to get to the school. Could you just talk about the timetable here with the shooting and uh, how much of an outlier this was when you look at others? Yeah, so it it looks like police got there and I believe uh, 14 minutes they were able to um, confront the gunman, which that has been standard protocol since Columbine, um, that police have been trained to um, isolate and respond to the attacker as quickly as possible to confront him. Um, There's also something that, that happened, which is that Students within the building say that the gunman's weapon appeared to have jammed at some point, which slowed him down. Um, He had enough rounds, police said, to do far more damage, um, but that appeared to have given police a little extra time to respond. Um, I would say Uvalde is more of the outlier Mm. where we knew it took um, close to an hour uh, for, um, for a 
enormous number of law enforcement to respond to the situation and um, investigations since then by state lawmakers and other agencies have determined that there were some failures in that response and that it was atypical. Evie, you and your colleagues at Education Week do the the grim accounting of keeping track of all of these school shootings in in the U.S. And I wonder if you could just sort of walk us through the criteria that you use to to keep that tally. Yeah. And, and, you know, people would define a school shooting very differently. Some folks would say one of the mass casualty attacks where a gunman bursts into a school with a a weapon, like what happened in St. Louis. And um, some people would describe them more broadly than we do, would describe any time a gun goes off on school grounds at all. Um, We define our criteria as where at least one person was injured by gunfire, other than the gunman, so we don't count suicides. Um, And we count um, on-school property, which could include parking lots and uh, athletic facilities during the school day or during a school-sponsored event. So, for example, since the beginning of this school year, we've seen six um, shootings occur during uh, athletic events, largely football games, um, either near the stadium, in the stadium, or in the parking lot outside. Um, Our argument for including these is that it presents the same or or presents similar safety concerns for um, school administrators who are responsible for the well-being of students, spectators, staff, regardless of whether it happens in or outside of the building. It also, it's hard to argue that that wouldn't create an emotional um, and, and trauma effect for students, regardless of exactly what the proximity is for them. There are a handful of these shootings that uh, stick with us and continue to be talked about. You went down to Parkland, Florida, after a former student shot and killed 17 people at Marjory Stoneman Douglas High School in, in 2018. This month, a jury recommended that shooter be sentenced to life in prison without parole instead of getting the death penalty. Still hearing stories from families torn apart in, in Uvalde. But it, it does seem unless there is a high death toll, these shootings are quick to fade from our, our national attention. And I'd love for you to respond to that. Um, there have been so many of these shootings that we've discussed. What's common among them? What, what prompts them to sort of fade from our, our national attention? Yeah, uh, you know, in some cases, there will be a compelling personal story involved about how the gunman was engaged, or in the case of Uvalde, not only the death toll, but the the uh, failures in the law enforcement response. Um, in the case of Sandy Hook, obviously, the, the large scale of it, but also the number of very young children involved. Um, there is this unfortunate feeling that some shootings, even though they devastate communities, they devastate survivors, um, don't reach the scale to stay in national headlines for very long. I will say that part of why Education Week tracks these events is because we want to consider them in um, totality. We want to acknowledge that they all matter, regardless of the scale. And I think other news organizations are doing this, too, are looking at um, the pattern of these events. You know, I talked to a teacher a few years ago who had a gun go off in her classroom. Um, No one died. (laughs) Um, uh, School police officers responded very quickly. She was hit by some shrapnel. Um, But the effects of that event um, on her and on her young students um, will continue for years. Mm. Uh, And so it's hard to imagine 
that some children's lives are being changed and in a way that for whatever reason doesn't meet the merits of staying in the national news cycle as long as others. That's Evie Blod. She's a reporter with Education Week. And uh, Evie, President Joe Biden called for an assault weapons ban again on Monday after that school shooting in St. Louis. Here's White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre. In the wake of Newton, Parkland, Buffalo, Uvalde, and countless other shootings in communities across the country, we need additional action to stop the scourge of gun violence. Every day that the Senate fails to send assault weapons ban to the president's desk or waits to take another, uh, other common sense actions is a day too late for our families and communities impacted by gun violence. She there referring to the weapon, the AR-15 style assault rifle that was used in all of these shootings, including the one in St. Louis on, on Monday. How likely are we to see a ban on assault rifles like that one? Yeah, we know that such a push has happened after um, many mass shootings, right? We remember that after Sandy Hook, um, Newtown, President Obama proposed an extensive uh, package of um, of gun bills, and it kept getting whittled down and whittled down and finally didn't even receive a vote. Um, the House has passed a um, assault weapons ban, but it faces – it's very unlikely that the Senate um, – would pass such a bill. They would need 60 votes to break the filibuster. And right now, Democrats who are more likely to favor um, such a measure uh, only hold 50 seats. And of course, the midterms are coming up, uh, which could change the calculus there. I want to ask you about the effect that training for school shootings or intruder events uh, have on kids. I've got young kids and and hear about this playing out in in their schools several times a year now. What do we know about the, the impact or the effect of that Uh, on them at a young age going through that. Yeah, my own goddaughter, I was asking her how kindergarten's going, and and she gave me a sideways thumb. (laughs) And she said, the reason it's, I liked it, but the reason it's not going well is is a scary school shooter drill. And I think everyone can kind of really immediately understand um, in talking with kids that, that this is a regular part of their lives and that they're in their little minds processing it and understanding it. Um, school safety experts would, uh, many would agree that that some level of preparation is necessary, um, that lockdown drills, which teach kids how to shut off the lights, stay quiet in the classroom and, and follow teachers' instructions um, can help in the event of a crisis, even if it's, you know, Something not gun-related, right? Um, But there's wide variation in how schools do these drills. And some of them um, can get pretty graphic. Some kids, whether schools mention it or not, they think of a bad guy. They personalize it. They've seen news coverage and they apply it here. Um, And I think some adults who are older, like me, might not recognize how much this is part of kids' daily lives and how much that can affect them over time. Evie Blatt is reporter with Education Week. Evie, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Coming thank up, you. we'll hear from teenagers in Louisville, Kentucky, about school shootings and the problem of gun violence across the country. They're too young to vote, but they have a message for those who can ahead of the midterms. Remember to connect with us on Twitter, tweet us your questions, or just let us know what you think at 1A. Now let's head to Kentucky. Before we get into the conversation, I want to note it does discuss mental health and thoughts of suicide. If you are or a loved one is in need of help, you can always call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline 
at 988. Again, that's three numbers, 988. We're less than a month away from the midterm elections. While many Gen Zers may be too young to vote or run for office, they're still highly engaged in their communities. How are they making a difference? And what do they want older generations to know? Today we'll hear from some of these highly engaged young people. According to Pew Research, Gen Z, those born between 1996 and 2012, are the most racially diverse generation. They're also the first generation of so-called digital natives to grow up with smartphones. Earlier this month, 1A traveled to Kentucky as part of our Remaking America collaboration with six partner stations, including WFPL in Louisville. Remaking America looks at how our democracy and our government is or is not working for us. And today, we'll hear whether young people think it's working for them. 1A recently sat down with four high school students at Chickasaw Park on Louisville's west side. They talked about the effects of growing up with gun violence in schools, mental health, and social justice. The teenagers Jen spoke with are all too young to vote in the midterms, but they want adults to know their opinions matter. So this happened in the world. We are like really, really affected by it. We just don't talk about it because when we talk about our feelings or how we feel, some older people take it as disrespect. I just want you to understand that we understand as much as you all do, if not more. That was 15-year-old J.J. Hayden. When he was 13 years old, he organized and led a Black Lives Matter protest in downtown Louisville. Also part of the conversation was 17-year-old Bree Woods. We have the tools and the vocabulary. We just need the ears from the older people to listen and actually understand. Bree is the co-editor-in-chief of the Crimson Yearbook, and she's also the president of the National Urban League Youth Council. That's a national civil rights organization. 15-year-old Sophia Ritchie also joined 1A in Louisville. She has an apprenticeship with Ambo Dance Theater in Louisville, where she choreographs dances that spread awareness about social and political injustices. You'll also hear from 17-year-old Quinn McConnell. He recently became an ambassador for his school. He also works at a Starbucks part-time and is headed to college next year. Jen White spoke with them a few weeks ago at Chickasaw Park in Louisville. You're all very clearly engaged in your community and issues that, that you care about. Sophia, why was it important for you to get involved in your community? It was important for me because I saw a lot of people that looked like me that were being assaulted or discriminated against in other ways, not just physical. Especially there was a lot of Asian hate crimes in America uh, recently. I mean, there have been for a very long time, but recently um, they've come to light in social media. And so for me, it was very important to recognize that While I may have always thought that that was wrong and I have always acknowledged other people's wrongs and discrimination, that I couldn't stay silent anymore because silence is never the answer if you want to create change. Bree, what about for you? Why did you think it was important to get involved? I really became politically involved during the last General Assembly at the state capitol. And the reason for that being the classroom censorship bills that were on the docket um, to be discussed in education committees. And so I was noticing within the sphere of the media, the news, people, um, legislators, they're all speaking, but no students were present. And I think in addition to teachers and other educators, obviously their contributions are important to the conversation, but students were a population that would be impacted and they were not represented at the table. A part of me is just a person who 
notice, who when they notice something needs to get done or there's a person that needs to do something, I'm just there to pick up the torch and make that effort to, to represent other people or represent a population. And so I became, I guess, I added myself to the conversation to make, I guess, the student population present in those conversations. JJ, why was it important for you to get involved in your community? I wanted everybody to know that it was everything that was happening was also affecting the youth too. I mean, like, yeah, I seen I was seeing my mom go out every night, go out and protest, and it was like I feel affected by you know what was happening to like at the time with Breonna Taylor, you know, um, stuff like that. And I wanted it to be known that kids, yes, we're being affected by it, and we also have a voice and want to be heard, and we want something to actually happen. And you know, like we're talking and y'all hearing, but. Yeah, like nothing's happening. So I wanted to be known that I was youth were affected and we could do something about it. Mm-hmm. When you talk about young people being affected, for you, how did that how did that show up? Was it emotional? Was it a psychological impact? How how were you being impacted? It was both emotional and psychological. It's like this is like it's the world we live in now. You can't even sleep in your house without somebody coming in and just shooting at you and you feel like I just feel like I wasn't hurt. Like, I would talk to my mom about it, but I knew that I just had to take action, and words wasn't helping, so I just did it. Quinn, what about for you? What got you engaged? I think what really got me engaged was just thinking about legacy. You know, I'm seeing older generations nowadays being like, oh, I didn't have it as easy as you. I didn't have to do this, or I didn't have this easy access. I had a struggle, and they are just complaining about that our future generation is so lucky and that's not what it should be what we should be doing is celebrating that it's easier now that we can communicate like through social media and we should be able to say that we need to change laws that about police brutality and stuff like that so I think what's really made me want to step up is just the fact that I want to leave a better tomorrow and so if I'm not if I'm just sitting here complaining about the future generation then I'm not solving the problem I'm just I'm no better than the people who are causing the problem. I'm just sitting on my hands doing nothing. Hmm. When you all think about what's top of mind for you as the most pressing issue that you think needs to be addressed, um, because we hear from young people a fair amount on our show, and they talk about a range of issues. It's voting rights, it's the environment, it's racial justice, but I'm curious to hear from each of you what's most important Sophia? I think if we're looking at a local scale here in Louisville, I would say that racial justice is is one of the most pressing issues, if not the most pressing issue. As JJ mentioned, Breonna Taylor, she has become a famous story, but, you know, she's more than just a story. I mean, LMPD has been discriminating and partaking in that kind of brutality for years. And it wasn't necessarily unknown to the local public um, before, but now it has become known by the national public and even on a global scale. And so I think events like that are just proof that things are not getting better uh, in Louisville specifically, and we need to create some real change so that we can sleep in our houses at night without being afraid that something bad is going to happen to us or, you know, walk alone and not have to be accompanied by a chaperone because we don't know what might happen. Brie, what about for you, and either locally or, or you can think about it through a global lens? 
I definitely think education and education policy are both very pressing issues. A lot of older generations always tell us that we're the future and we're the future leaders and the people who are going to be in these positions of power. And so I think that if we are going to assume that mantle and, the, and you know, take on those torches and those responsibilities, we need to be well-rounded. We need to um, have the vocabulary and the tools um, available and, you know, with us so that we can do a good job at what everybody is telling us what we are soon to become. And I think that keeping our education well-rounded and truthful and grounded in the truth and honest will truly help us um, to grow as leaders and um, members of society. Mm. JJ, for you, what's, what's the most pressing issue, either locally or nationally? Uh, I would say education, too. I mean, I heard it every day. Uh, I'm the future, you know, you're the youth. But then we have teachers and bus drivers not showing up to work to get us there or get us the resources that we need. I mean, we need teachers there to provide lessons, and we need bus drivers there to take, get us to school because not all, not all students have a way to school except for the bus. Mm-hmm. Quinn, what about for you? I think the most pressing issue is fear. Everyone's scared, and I don't blame them. I think what we're seeing now with voting is fear that you're not going to be able to vote. I, I think we see it with education, too, fear of being let go of your job because, like in Florida, there's the education bills that are being passed that the teachers can't teach history. Sophia, you were part of a theater production called Kids These Days about challenges facing adolescents in Louisville. First, where did the title of that production come from? It was inspired by the phrase that we hear from older generations of, oh, kids these days are so lazy, or oh, kids these days are too sensitive, too dramatic, all of these things which we did feature at the end of the show. Quinn, you mentioned fear, and and one of the things you addressed in kids these days is lockdown drills. Um, A survey in September found that nearly a third of young people said they have experienced gun violence personally, and more than half said they think about mass shootings at least once a week. Uh, That's according to Project Unloaded. That's a nonprofit that promotes gun safety for young people. How have you each been affected by gun violence, whether you've experienced that effect directly or, or indirectly? Quinn, I'll come to you first. Multiple times my school has gone on to lockdown because of fears of gun shootings, or school shootings, sorry. Just recently, uh, a kid brought a Glock with a switch on it that turned it into an automatic into the school. And I think what was the most surprising thing to me was not that they were going to shoot up the school, was they were afraid of their bus stop. Their neighborhood was so terrifying and that they didn't feel safe at all that the only way that they felt safe was by carrying a Glock with them. That's how gun violence has impacted me because I'm seeing people be afraid and take drastic measures to make sure that they don't get killed. JJ, how do you feel about the lockdown drills? The lockdown drills, I think... They're good because it shows us like what we need to do if it that happens. But I've indirectly I've seen gun violence. I mean I've been in some bad neighborhoods. I've seen people get shot in front of me. I've seen a lot of shootings actually, and people die from it. So I think the the drills it helps a lot. It helps to know how to navigate if something happens and what to do and what not to do during a situation like that. Because as we can see, it's very present nowadays. We got people shooting up elementary schools and high schools and middle schools, so it's very helpful, actually. 
Bree, for you, is it something you experience at your school? Lockdown drills have been present in my life since kindergarten. I think Zoomers, especially within like my age range, when we were children, we saw Sandy Hook and happen real time and felt the effects of that. Even though I was a kid, I, I knew about it and I, I felt those emotions, you know, and then going through middle school with it becoming more prevalent and now in high school being hyper aware of it. Um, it's impacted me that way and also just gun violence in general. You know, just last week, there was a drive-by outside of my house and I, I hate to laugh about it because it's not funny. It's just that I think I've become so sanitized to it that it's just an, an everyday, like, oh, yeah, there's, that just happened in front of my house the other night. Um, and that was really terrifying. But it's, like they say, it's at your doorstep, you know. Sophia, I, I'm curious to hear if your experience echoes that of your, your fellow panelists, but also how you think about what I'm hearing um, is sort of a normalization of, of gun violence and lockdown drills in schools. It's, it's not something I think any of us grew up with. Yes, I think that it is so normalized, um, and it's been so normalized to a dangerous point at this, at this time. Um, last year, my school, it was the third or fourth week of school, and we actually had an intruder in the building, and we went on full lockdown, and we didn't know what was happening. It was So we were told to assume the worst-case scenario. And... With that in our minds, I hate to admit it now, but I was playing Uno with my friends um, because we were so um, numb to the fact that there was an intruder in the building. We were so used to hearing that that we were like, oh, that's never going to happen to us. And then when it did, we didn't know how to react. So we just kind of went on with our day. And then the next day, I took an AP Human Geography test, and it just was, we just moved on with our lives. And I, I think that that is so dangerous. And that is why these lockdown drills are so needed. JJ, when you were 13, you helped to organize a Black Lives Matter protest for young people that went through downtown Louisville. How, I mean, just talk us through, <laughs> you talked about the early seeds of, of you feeling like, okay, I'm seeing my mom go out to protest. I feel like I need to do something too. But... I guess what helped you feel empowered to do that? To say, you know what, I want to do something. Not only do I want to do something, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna just do it. Um, I felt like if the adults can do it, then why can't we do it? I mean, yeah, we're young, but like I said earlier, we're also affected by everything that's happening. And I want, it's like kids, our voices, like we're not heard enough. Like if we say something about a situation, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just a kid or, uh, you know, just stay in a child's place. You don't know what you're talking about when we express how we're feeling. So it's like, I wanted to do something instead of just keep talking to it. Because it's like, I also asked my mom. My mom to go out there too. I, I'm affected by it too. She's like, it's not for kids. It's only for adults. So I was like, I want to do something for kids. And so I got with uh, a woman that I know, Chanel Helm. And she helped me with everything. And it just happened. And it felt so good to be heard. And yeah. What was the response from other young people? Uh, they were, 
some of them were a little uncomfortable because it was different. Because like usually when you go to protests, like if a kid goes, he's with his parent, but the kids were by themselves. But after like the few blocks, you know, everybody started having a good time. You know, the chants were getting louder and louder, and they got more comfortable, like throughout the throughout the march. What did that experience make you think about the role you can play as a young person in trying to affect change? Oh, I felt. I mean, I always felt like I could. I was unstoppable. I can do anything. So, so it's just something else to the list, really. So it's just like, but it, it felt like really, real, real good. Like, real good. Well, I want to turn now to the midterm elections, which are just around the corner, and all of you will be too young <laughs> to vote in November. But just really quickly, do you think either political party or your local officials officials represent what you want? Do you feel like your thoughts, your ideas, your beliefs are represented by either party? Just really quickly, you first, Quinn, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say 100%. I would give it to maybe the 80 to 90% range. You know, I think there's still issues that we have to go through. Uh, recently with the mayoral election, uh, there was the Democratic primary, which I was more focused on than the Republican, to be truthful. And I'm going to be up front and saying I don't, I'm not... agreeing on what uh, the current Democratic nominee is saying on issues. I think, I don't know, I think think we can still grow and I think we need more people to run. Bree, what about you? The Louisville Urban League hosted a mayoral um, candidate forum and so I was very lucky to not only like be in the room during the forum, but I also, I also hosted the event and so being right in front of them, hearing each candidate either skirt around the issues our city is facing or attack them head on and explain their plans was very, very insightful. Um, I will say I am not 100% well-versed or educated on every person that's going to be on the ballot or every issue that's going to be represented. Um, But I will say that... I've become aware of not just the, I guess, politicians or the people running, but also the community organizations and the organizing that's happening around um, what's happening in politics right now. Like with the Louisville Urban League, giving a space for um, community, like members of the community to hear what the candidates are saying or Shamika Parrish-Wright and the organizing that she does outside of, of politics. And I think that's also really something to focus on. Okay, Sophia, what about you? Uh, Louisville especially, but America in general, is very politically segregated. And so when everything is so separate, um, it's difficult to take sides when so many things need um, working on. Especially now, um, the far left and the far right have become so extreme that you kind of get lost. And so um, I definitely identify more with the Democratic uh, Party. Um, But I think that because everything in America is so segregated, I think it's worth looking at, like you said, the issues themselves rather than um, the parties. Just as we wrap, I I just would love for each of you to share with us as 
you know, people from, from other generations, what is the thing you want us to understand about Gen Zers, about Zoomers, that you think we just, we just either don't understand or we just get dead wrong? Just wrong. Quinn? All right, I'll start off. I think the thing that uh, older generations get wrong about us is that we're stupid. But I think we're still learning. You know, we're, we're still growing out. We're getting out of our cocoon. We're coming into our beautiful butterfly. And so just be patient with us. We're the future leaders. You're, you raised us. You got you to gotta give us a chance, you know, because we're going we're gonna to be president someday. This is, this is true. JJ, what about you? What, what do you want us to understand that you think we don't get? Uh, that we have a voice too, and that we are affected as you are. Like, so this happened in the world, we are like really, really affected by it. We just don't talk about it because when we talk about our feelings or how we feel, some older people take it as disrespect or, you know, not seeing it in a child's place. And I just want you to understand that we understand as much as you all do, if not more. Bree? We we have such a unique skill of finding community and creating communities online. Um, and we can use that as a tool to our advantage. And I think that we, we don't need to be scholarly. We don't need to have the perfect lexicon or the perfect grammar to get our point across. You know, we're here, obviously, doing the groundwork of organizing protests and, and cre- choreographing dances that represent so much and symbolize so much of our feelings and our responses to what's happening in the world. And so we have the tools and the vocabulary. We just need the ears from the older people to listen and actually understand. Mm-hmm. Sophia, you get the last word here. We are not sensitive, we are not overdramatic, and we are not lazy. We are just trying to make the world a little more livable. At the end of the day, we are teenagers. We are kids. And I would really encourage the other generations to think, where were you when you were a teenager? Because we can't do everything. Yes, we may be a little shortcoming on some things, but that's because we're still trying to figure out who we even are and everything. So... Just like Bree said, please listen and help us because we can't create this change alone. Thanks to our panel in Louisville, Bree Woods is a 17-year-old senior at DuPont Manual High School, where she's the co-editor-in-chief of the Crimson Yearbook. She's also the president of the National Urban League Youth Council. Also, Sophia Ritchie, a 15-year-old sophomore, also at DuPont Manual High School. She has an apprenticeship with Ambo Dance Theater in Louisville where she choreographs dances used to spread awareness about social and political injustices. J.J. Hayden is a 15-year-old sophomore at Wagner High School. When he was 13 years old, he organized and led a Black Lives Matter protest. Quinn McConnell is 17 years old and is a senior at Seneca High School. He recently became an ambassador for his school and wants to study to become a public defender. This conversation was produced by 1A's Anna Casey, and thanks to WFPL for hosting. Special thanks to Rachel Ferkins for helping to plan the event and WFPL education reporter Jess Clark and arts and culture reporter Stephanie Wolf for their help. 1A Remaking America is funded in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. 1A comes to you from WAMU, which is part of American University in Washington. It's distributed by NPR. I'm NPR's David Gura, in for Jen White. Thanks so much for being with us. 